Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice and the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. I'm one of your hosts. And uh, yeah, we warned you. We warned you guys that even though we were back on Monday episodes, that last Monday, this past Monday, was not looking good. And we uh, we were, we stayed true to that promise in which uh, we didn't release a fucking episode on Monday. Because you know what? We were watching the Super Bowl and we weren't going to record. And uh, without the Super Bowl having happened, there wasn't really anything for us to talk about. So uh, there, there you fucking go. Uh, but now the Super Bowl has happened, and the Los Angeles Rams, uh, kind of, oh, ba- barely, by a lot, it was tough to say, <laughs> barely, really, uh, are the Super Bowl champions, champions, and it has a lot of implications for the Rams, less implications for the Bengals, I would think, but we can talk about it. Um, and I guess we'll we'll start off with getting into the actual game holy shit that was loud dude your phone on your laptop fuck you oh my god yeah you're a piece of shit yeah i forgot this doesn't have a microphone i'm sorry you are awful anyway so the Bengals ended up losing to the rams another way of saying the rams beat the Bengals by a score of 23 to 20 and uh in, in what was really a very underwhelming or inconsistent game. I don't want to say underwhelming because the game certainly had its moments of great excitement, but really just so much, not a lot in between that. It was, I don't know. Like I didn't feel like we were sitting on the edge of our seats for this entire game. It felt like there were large swaths of not a lot going on in between because it wasn't like there was a lot of game changing penalties. They really didn't throw any flags at all until like the there last were, four minutes of the game. There were a lot of game changing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we had the one penalty that wasn't called on the face mask on the long touchdown that against Jalen Ramsey yeah, yeah, gifted them seven yeah. points, which then, you know, immediately led to an interception against Matt Stafford. Um, you have another no call in the fourth quarter, and then you have the call on Logan Wilson in coverage, which was a clean pass breakup. That the the mystery, a, the the phantom holding penalty. Yeah. That the, oh boy! Fourth and eight. We fucked up in the third. <laughs> Here you go, penalty. Yeah. So, it was one of those weird games where. Genuinely, there wasn't a ton of penalties called. But out of nowhere, when they did call them, it was like, holy fuck, what is going on? Everything is collapsing. Um, Which I don't love. Really don't love that. Oh, it was a a missed uh, um, false start, which is what it was. Right. And, you know, I, I not saying that the penalties add to the excitement, but without like a an onslaught of points or long extended drives or something to that effect where you can say, all right, they didn't get a lot of points because they were fighting with the refs and the, the addition of penalties as to the, the drama that would have been there in points, but is not on the scoreboard. Um, it felt a little bit, I don't know, dampened in a way. I'm not really quite sure how to put my finger on it. Cause you know, 20 to 23, especially for these two offenses in particular mm-hmm. is not a horribly high scoring game. No. And I mean, honestly, both these defenses played really well all game. I mean, Jalen, Jalen Ramsey had a really great game. The Rams defensive line, believe it or not, had a really great game. Um, You know, the Bengals defensive line had a good game. Their corners had a pretty good game. Might have Hilton played well enough. I think he had one play where he uh, gave up a bad touchdown. But uh, regardless, it, I mean, they came in super conservative to start the game. 
because it's the Super Bowl and that's the way it goes. You're not about to, you know, play super aggressive to start off, get punched in the mouth, and then be fucked. Um, but, I mean, Stafford got hurt. Burrow got hurt. Both of those guys were hobbled for the rest of the game. OBJ got hurt. Missed OBJ left super early, yeah. Um, I think it's just one of those, like, look, this is the Super Bowl weird shit's happening and we're just trying to get like it was all out on the field and they weren't about to you know nobody was pulling up when guys broke free nobody was you know pass rushers were running their motors you know at 110 percent i think it's you know that's just the way it is you know 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 yeah i think the only time we saw a team truly like roll over and die was the Panthers in the Super Bowl against the uh, Broncos. I guess right. the Broncos and this wasn't the, nearly the like, shit show snorefest that Pat's Rams was in whatever year that was, 2017, 2018. Like that game blew hot ass, even beyond the fact that the Patriots won it. That game just wasn't fun to witness. Um, like This wasn't that, but I'm just – like this thing, it had its exciting moments, but let's get actually into the performances can, there within. What's up, buddy? Before we do, can we applaud Sean McVay for going to two Super Bowls in four years with what is essentially two completely different rosters? No, I, I will not. Okay. I will not applaud okay. that because one roster is colossally better than the other one. Still brought a team to the Super Bowl twice I, in four years. I, Outside of Tom Brady, that really doesn't happen much. No, I know, but it's like it'd be one thing if it went the other way around. Like if he had a really stellar roster the first time and then everybody left and then he still brought the team to the Super Bowl. And instead it's like you brought a team to the Super Bowl with a good, not fantastic roster, made the playoffs every year. And then made a super team and then made the Super Bowl again and then won it. And it's like, all right, yeah. He brought yeah. Jared Goff to the Super Bowl. I think there needs to be some recognition there. Oh, and that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Like, but it, it's not like it's wildly unexpected that he did that. The second time yeah, with Stafford. Okay. You know what yeah, I mean? Okay. Like the whole team got better. Touche. Fuck you. <laughs> if you want. So uh, the actual performances, Joe Burrow came out there and went 22 for 33, 263 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, seven sacks, a quarterback rating of 100.9 and two rushing attempts for three yards. On the other side of the ball, Matthew Stafford, 26 for 40, 283 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and two sacks for a quarterback rating of 89.9 three rushing attempts for six yards. So combined 16 sacks over the two championship games for Joe Burrow. Um, That's really fucking bad. Yeah. It's a miracle. He only had one injury scare. Yeah. Especially after coming off of an ACL tear. Oh my God. Like, we joke about how it, it's important to, you know, just go heavy in the trenches when you want to build up around like a young QB. But like, if they don't dramatically overhaul their offensive line, like we're talking like three or four brand new starters for next year, um, that's a major disservice. Especially because honestly, all their other units are playing pretty fucking well. Mm hmm. Like, like their, their wide receivers are great. Their defense really looked looked fantastic. Their their cornerback play was well was was good. Their their, their safeties played pretty well. The the the, mm-hmm. the defensive front did a really good job. Like really, the only position that is stands out on the page as being oh my god is their offensive line. It's fucking trash. And like we joke a lot about like the Jamar Chase and Penai Sewell decision. And, yes, and we both were like, hey. The connection between Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase in college was unavoidable. Connecting them again in the NFL would be spectacular. And the wide receiver one, a dominant wide receiver one, is 
worth its weight in gold. Yes. Yeah. Also very hard to come by. The Jets have not had one right. si- since one season of Brandon Marshall. He, yeah, I mean, before that, what? Keyshawn Johnson. <laughs> Santonio Holmes. <laughs> Stop number three, Santonio Holmes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, um, you guys are getting the picture. It's been it's yeah. hard. It's hard to get and a wide receiver one, a look, real one. I think both of us were aboard the Penai Sewell train as probably the smarter option, or at least the option we would have chosen. Clearly, it worked out one way. I think it also would have worked out on the other side. I mean, there's a lot of depth at wide receiver in the draft last year. The offensive line was really bad. Penai Sewell played very well. It's the first, like, they were rookies. It's just because it worked out for one team and Penn is an offensive tackle for the Lions that you don't hear much of. Believe me, it's, you know, pretty obvious why. He's still a great player. When it comes down to it, uh, hey, you made your decision. You went with wide receiver. Everyone in the world can now look and say, hey, that was actually a good decision. Just go out and, and – do it again this year with offensive linemen. Just go all offensive linemen. Yeah, it's it's an interesting calculus that the front office ended up doing, which amounts to essentially this from what I can tell in retrospect, is we need, like Corwin just said, probably three offensive linemen. So that problem is not getting solved in this one draft. But we also need a wide receiver one and that problem can be solved this draft. So let's risk Joe Burrow's health and go for a wide receiver one, because even if we take Penai Sewell or an equivalent therein, our offensive line will probably still be buns, and we'll have to address that in the future, which goes both ways. But I would say they're, they probably ended up being right if, if that was some level of the decision-making. I mean, Jamar Chase has been unreal this season, and I don't think that'll really slow down too much. But now they are in a position where they really have to adjust that offensive line and make quite the splash in free agency. And offensive line is a lot like collecting starting pitching and high-end relievers. Everybody wants them. Everybody needs them. And depth is fucking hard. How many... How for real, how many pitching staffs have a good fifth starter? I don't mean good for a fifth starter. I mean a fifth starter who is also someone you would say is genuinely good. It's not a lot of teams. That's the offensive line of the NFL. Yeah. Um, not many. No. Because I mean, like, think, think about it this way. The, the Bengals are also going to be competing with the Jets in that exact same category and for relatively similar reasons. Both teams have young quarterbacks that they're trying to develop. The Bengals have had way more upfront success than the Jets have, but that doesn't even matter because we're talking about pure raw spending dollars, which the Jets have a fuck ton of, and both have the exact same incentive to go out and do it. And if the Jets are going to start spending money, offensive line with a young quarterback, you don't want to fuck is probably a good place to start. And that's that's the real tough part about offensive lines again in particular. Because if it was a wide receiver one, you know, with the all the it, roster problems that a lot of teams have, and again, I'll use the Jets for an example, we need a r- wide receiver one. But if you have the choice between getting two decent tackles in free agency or one wide receiver one, you might end up taking the tackles just to not fuck your quarterback which means a lot of teams are going to try to make that a primary target rather than some of the more flashy skill positions that they think maybe can be addressed in the draft, at the trade deadline, so on and so forth, and instead prioritize the immediate impact makers or at least the immediate injury preventers for their quarterback, which is linemen. And so you're going to end up competing with teams that are bad and teams that are good because everybody needs that shit. All right. I looked up the PFF grades, which believe me, PFF, it's not. Every great system has its flaws. Yeah. Right. But it's a good marker for just 
generally you have a good season, you have a bad season. And when it comes to offensive linemen, we don't watch all five offensive linemen. We don't know what the fuck we're looking at. This is what we got to deal with. Uh, left tackle Jonah Williams, uh, I believe he was a top 10 pick uh, two years ago. Uh, 77.5, which is pretty decent. You're really not going to find many players in the 80s. Those are usually, you know, Pro Bowl caliber, you know, all pro caliber players. Um, 77.5, pretty good. Uh, left guard, Quentin Spain, 72.3, pretty decent. Right tackle, Isaiah Prince, uh, 58, not good. Uh, right guard, Trey Hopkins, uh, 51.4, really not great. And center, uh, Hakeem Adeniji, 48.3, really, really, really not great. Um, so like Josh said, three new starters, pretty safe bet, pretty needed. So I guess let's uh, let's look at the other side of it now and talk Matt Stafford a little bit. All in all, Joe Burrow had a pr- himself a pretty good game. I-, I mean, maybe you could argue the completion percent is a little bit low, which honestly, who fucking cares? Um, given the context of the game, because the 263 yards, the one touchdown kind of is what it is, but. I mean, when you're getting beat up as much as he was getting beat up and being able to actually perform to the, the level he was able to. I mean, that was was a gutsy performance to use, you know, some good old fashioned uh, football radio talk. That was a that was a gutsy performance. He did a really solid job. Uh, and then we go to the other side of the ball and look at Matt Stafford, who also had himself again rough in the completion percent department. For all intents and purposes, he had himself a pretty good game. He He definitely, I think, struggled a little bit in the first half. He overthrew a couple guys and some really weird, like, wow, where was that ball going kind of throws. But for the most part, he ended up being able to not play themselves out of the game. Um, His one interception in the end zone was fucking rough. The second interception was, oh, my God, not his fault. So, it, it, I mean, that interception was really hilarious, where the wide receiver, I forget who it was, tried diving for the ball. It glanced off of his arm, bounced up and continued on its path just straight into uh, safety's arms. I mean, it was so incredibly not Stafford's fault, but is what it is. Uh, and that was the one Corwin had mentioned came right after the drive in which Jalen Ramsey got fucked. So Rams got fucked in back-to-back sequences pretty quick. Um, yeah. That's a pretty, in- like we were talking about this during the game, but you know, there's changes in momentum from bad calls and things like that where it's you can overcome momentum. You just need to put a couple plays together, one drive together. Everything's pretty much wiped out and back to, you know, the status quo, back to even. And you can overcome it. Overcoming basically seven points on the board and then a turnover that, you know, is exactly what we were describing. That is a huge swing in a game, especially in the Super Bowl. And that is incredibly hard to overcome, which they did. So, hey, credit to them. Yeah. Um, now, the way that this game ended up playing out, Rams scored first in the first. They scored a touchdown. Uh, Bengals followed it up with a field goal. And then the uh, Rams scored again first and the second by collecting another touchdown. And at that point, the, the, the Bengals hadn't really got anything together and it almost felt like, Oh, this game is going to end 37 to 14, where at some point the Rams just kind of stopped trying Uh, the Bengals answer back with a touchdown of their own to make the score 13 to 10. And then from there, it looked like, Oh, the Rams are just going to kind of roll over and take it as they then proceed to get, uh, another touchdown dropped on them 75 yard monster from T Higgins within the first 12 seconds of the second half, 17, 13, then a field goal, 13, 20. And then that it concludes the Bengals scoring. The Rams are able to corral an additional 10 points in the final uh, 
quarter plus change to bring their score up to 23-20, where the Rams ended up winning on a game-ending sack from Aaron Donald, as one could only script this game going. But really, for a while there, it looked as though the Rams were 49ersing themselves of just no one's really elevating the offense here. And it like your defense is playing great. Your, your skill position players are even doing a pretty good job. It's just like the quarterback isn't elevating the running back got nothing going on the ground. And there's only so much the individuals who are shining can do. And the offense isn't just getting there, but eventually they really showed that, you know, games are one on the margins and you only need three points to take home a Super Bowl ring. That's all the Rams needed. Can you believe just how good as a whole this playoff year was? I mean, from the divisional round on, the only game that was decided by more than a field goal was an overtime touchdown. Uh, what was that? Chiefs versus Bills? Chiefs-Bills, yeah. What an unbelievably good playoff. I mean, Playoffs. really, top, top to bottom, T to B. Um, and that brings into question, what does this mean for both teams? Now, for the Bengals, I think it's pretty easy. And we said this last week. And almost nothing. The fact that they lost means almost nothing. The fact that they made it means everything. The fact that they made it means that they are going to be serious players in free agency as teams look at the way that the bank as players look at the way that the team was able to develop and want to go to there. Um, and playoff success, in addition to having that playoff success with your own guys, guys like Joe Burrow, who you drafted and you developed, also is usually a pretty good sign of organizational competence that is going to attract more people to come to you. It's one of the reasons the Jets don't really bring people in. It's one of the reasons the Giants really haven't brought significant people in either in the past several years. So that might be major markets. Yeah. Yeah. New Jersey, major market. And um, yeah, I know. I just, yeah. Home state baby. So, but in terms of what this means for players like going or anything, I mean, their, their main guys are for the most part under contract. They, they really don't have anybody to worry about. I, I wouldn't, um, Another another key guys. I don't know the, the ins and outs of their roster, but Joe Burrow is still going to be there. Jamar Chase is still going to be there. Jadobia Wuzier is still going to be there. You know, like like those those guys are still going to be around. And uh, they just signed Zach Taylor to an extension through twenty twenty six. Like they are going to be good. And the fact that they lost the Super Bowl puts no one on the hot seat. Really raises no questions. I think about anybody from a person outside of Eli Apple about personnel like outside the coaching staff like everyone's it's an accomplishment that they did this because there was no expectation to do it on the ram side them winning is really an interesting like pivot point in in where this organization is heading in its immediate future uh apparently i did not realize this um sean mcveigh has been considering retirement which i'm not sure how serious Oh yeah, I was saying. I'm not sure how serious it is. I've never heard that mentioned. The man is 37, 36, whatever age he is. Like, don't get me wrong. If I could retire at 36, man, I'd retire at 36. But I'm also not at the peak of my career and excelling at it, um, which most people don't just leave. Like, you know, if Sean McVay was working a desk job at 36 and had the ability to retire, that'd be pretty different than being, again, the highest level of his profession possible and retiring. So, but whatever. Um, but it raises a lot of questions about how do they want to handle the roster? How do they want to handle payroll? How do they want to handle their immediate future in regards to players potentially also retiring. Like I'm not sure Matt Stafford is going to retire, but for a lot of players who stay in the league for the chase of a ring, he could cross that off his list. Football's a rough sport. Um, you know, like he, he is so lucky that his kid is old enough to have seen him won a ring. That's cool. 
You know, like that is another reason why he might be cool with hanging it up relatively early. Um, who knows? But it's a really interesting like inflection point for them. What what do you because very I'm gonna I promise I'm gonna turn this over to you in a second. Because <laughs> it's very, very, very infrequently do we see teams win. Not very infrequently, but it's not often we see teams win. And and the next question is, will they suck next year because they finally did it? This is a super team that we've been waiting for them to win the Super Bowl for years. And they finally did it. So it's like, is there a point in keeping together this absolute accounting madness to maybe do it again next year? Well, what do you think? They they don't really have that many free agents, key free agents, I should say. Vaughn Miller and Odell are kind of the two big ones. Granted, those are two very big ones to have. Um, I mean, everyone else on here is a depth piece. Uh, Austin Corbett uh, at guard, he might be a starter, I'm not sure. But regardless, it's a guard. I mean, that's a, for a Super Bowl caliber team, that's a plug and play player. I mean, we can look at what the Rams cap situation is for next year. Yeah, I'm getting it being up able now. To re- being able to re-sign two players in Odell and Von Miller, both of which very much bought in to what the Rams are doing. And I... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, so the, the Saints have negative 76 million in cap. Like we knew that they, they mortgage their future. The Packers are at negative 50 million, you know, whatever. Cowboys negative 21 million, whatever. Like these are three teams that are either currently good or have been good and went over the cap in future years to make sure that it could be good in the present tense. Understood. Vikings negative 14 million. All right. Like they tried. I get it. The Giants have the fifth fewest cap, least cap space in the NFL next season, negative 10 million. The Giants, who suck ass and have sucked ass for the last five years, are 10 million over the cap for next season? The Rams are sixth just behind the Giants at 10 million. Even the Giants are at 10.7. Um, so they are with only 48 players signed $10 million over the cap next year. Um, fuck man. What the fuck are the giants doing? Should you be paying Leonard Williams $27 million a year? Absolutely not. Their top two cornerbacks are combined for $37 million. I don't like that. Oh my god. Oh, there's god. a lot of bad numbers on here. Yeah. They have wow, like Sterling Shepard is their 16. sixth highest paid player. That's hilarious. They have like 60 million dollars put together for all of their top three cornerbacks. That's not great. Dude, this is a wild read. I don't I don't love this breakdown. This is like really what's your dead cat? Like what is dead money two hundred and eighty nine thousand none. none. <laughs> they have none. Wow. Oh no. This is so bad. Oh my what god. What the fuck are you guys doing? Yo, Gettleman fucked this from? franchise the fuck up. Which is exactly it's so what funny. to the Panthers too. And you and I said when this guy got hired, this was a mistake. And it was more catastrophic than because, like, at least when the Jets have sucked, they haven't done so with big, splashy free agent signings. So the the thing that Jets fans have, have been able to say is, yeah, the roster still sucks, but we have like a hundred million dollars in cap space that's been accumulated over the last three years. We can blow in free agency to try to suck less. The Giants can't even say that. So uh, Leonard Williams, uh, $27 million cap hit this him. year. I hate that. If they wanted to uh, <laughs> cut him, he has a $35.6 million dead cap. No, it is insane. It is insane. Kenny Galladay, same thing. $21.1 million cap hit. 23.6 if they cut him. He is absolutely getting cut next year. Twenty-six point three million dollar cap hit for twenty twenty-three. 
$8.3 million cap hit or dead cap, he's gone. They would save so much money by cutting him. It is hilarious. It is hilarious. Like the Giants have three players with a $20 million or more cap hit for 2022. The Rams only have four. Barely. Man. I, like, that's it. I think they might cut Sterling Shepard this year. They absolutely should. I mean, they'd save... Five million? Four and a half? Yeah, at least. Wow, these contracts are hideous. Are you just going through looking at all like the the outs that they could possibly have? Yeah, I, I guess they could cut Kyle Rudolph to save two, but I'm not sure it's even worth it. Or is it Jackson worth? Is it worth year. trying to move James Bradbury? That's twelve million bucks right there. I don't, man, I don't know. I really they're know. they're in hell. Oh my god, that is not an enviable position. Wow. But anyway, the Rams. Yeah, they don't have like next year still on contract. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford, Leonard Floyd, Cooper Cup, Andrew Whitworth, who will, will probably retire. Uh, Robert Woods, Rob Havenstein. Who the hell are you? Oh, right tackle. That's why I don't know yeah. who you are. Tyler Higby, you know, like uh, uh, Greg Gaines, Cam Akers. Wow, he's so cheap. Holy shit. Um, A rookie. I know. For I just like. Yeah, seeing this is still just wild, you know? Like, you know, they, they, they've got a lot of guys that are obviously due back. It's really just more, for me, a question of not just who is coming off the books and do you replace them, but it's also, like, how many draft picks do the Rams have upcoming? Because that's the other consideration here is, yeah, a lot of these guys are coming back, and the cap space situation isn't so horrible. We couldn't keep most of them, but it's also with how many picks they've traded away to acquire them. Is it worth keeping them at the opportunity cost of the draft picks? You know what I'm saying? I think so. Like, would you rather have, and this is an extreme example. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making a judgment either way. Would you rather have Jalen Ramsey and no picks in the first two rounds, which I don't really know. I'm going to look up the the Rams draft capital um, right now. Or would you rather have no Jalen Ramsey and uh, three second round picks or a first and and two seconds or some shit like that? I don't know how much Jalen Ramsey goes for. Some equivalent amount of draft. Some equivalent amount of draft. What he did go for. Two firsts? was two first i mean would you rather have the single best cornerback in all of football or two lottery tickets well and the, the thing is though that really depends on what pick, you're trying to 20, accomplish 20. all right here's a good one uh would you rather have caleb von chase on travis etn and robert rochelle or jalen ramsey well no Again, you're 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 being very reductionist in what I'm trying to say. The the Rams have did okay. the thing that you would need Jalen Ramsey for. They won the Super right. Bowl. Right. If they have no draft picks, it's like having Jalen Ramsey for two to four more seasons. Neat. Mm-hmm. Or where, yeah, they could absolutely try to make another push for Super Bowl next year. I'm not saying that they can't. But would you rather have someone that will be under team control for four to five seasons? at a very team-friendly rate because rookie contracts and try to build in a different direction or would you rather try to keep everybody you got for the next two years, have no draft capital because you traded it all away and then just be kind starting from literal scratch in in two to four seasons? You know what I'm saying? I would, yeah. I would much rather maximize the window that you clearly Oh, have. my God. They... You know, you know what the draft capital is for this season? This draft? Yeah, it's like nothing. It is a fifth round a fifth? and two seventh rounds. That's yeah. it. That's they that is it. They have three picks, nothing above the fourth. But what holes do they need to fill? No, but what I'm saying is if you draft a guy yeah. today, 
he's on your team for four years. And I'm not saying he's going to be Jalen Ramsey. It's not one of those a first round pick of anything. It's Jalen Ramsey. It's a question of how do I want the transition between these two like eras of my team to go? Do I want it to really suck a lot of ass, which we do see. I mean, the Orioles are an extreme example because they have not been able to figure it out at all, but it's essentially what the Orioles did after they stripped down their team. You know, they won a bunch of games, made the playoffs several times. And then we're like, well, time to time, time to go. Uh, or do you try to kind of ease your way into it by letting guys go and trying to accumulate draft capital along the way? And it's, it's going to be an interesting case because we don't usually see it. Just looking over, I mean, I will still stand firm that I would much rather have the solid players on my team that are already there trying to hold on to them and keep pushing for that window, knowing I'm going to have to have a much more drawn-out rebuild three years down the line. But looking at, like, the past drafts as a whole – for what the Rams have done, or you could pick any team really having the handful of picks that you would get from moving pieces like Jalen Ramsey and whatnot. There are so many missed picks because you just don't know how guys are going to turn out. Like, yes, you're going to have them four to five years under team control, but it's such a toss up, whether they're going to become anything at all. It's, a significant drop off in value. Like I'd rather have Jalen Ramsey for three years, knowing he's going to be the best player on the defensive side of the ball for us. I guess it doesn't count because Aaron Donald's there. Yeah. Then getting, you know, two second round picks, uh, two first round picks, whatever it may be. And hoping one of them works out and hoping one of them can come to the field and play when they're young. Cause you have to think, when you're drafting these young players, they're prospects, they're raw. You need to build them into starters. You need to build them into impact players. They're not going to be able to automatically come in and compete and start for your team at a high level. And when your window is now, and it clearly is now, they have been, you know, Super Bowl contenders and favorites over the past four or five years. You need guys to maximize right now rather than building out for the future. The Bengals can still go out and move guys for draft picks and keep pushing out that window and and stretching out that window, building for two, three, four years down the line because they're young. They have a lot of key pieces in place and their window isn't forced into a tighter frame because of past decisions they have the freedom to either maximize or continue building. The Rams have gone down this path. They need to stay on the path until, you know, the dam breaks. And this is, if I was working in the Rams front office, this is the exact debate I would be starting with my team, my, my fellow front office members every single day until we have to actually start making real moves for free agency. Not even whether, whether, I believe super strongly one way or the other, which again, as of right now, I'm not really sure I do, but just to have these types of conversations, because it's also the, the arithmetic you have to do of, are we in the middle of our window or is it closing? And if we think it's closing, how many more years do we think we have with current roster construction? And also if we do want to start making moves, it's not just getting a few second round picks and hoping the second round picks, pan out it's also getting some second round picks so that when the trade deadline comes around we have capital to move because they also don't have that right now which means that for the next at least this next year um, because 2023 doesn't really look too much better they have a second a third and a fifth that's oh and and a sixth and a seventh what two sevenths wow get out of town so they don't have a first round pick again until 2024 and if you're going to go into the trade deadline with no first round picks for another two years, if is that, is that something you're willing to do? Are, are you willing to nets yourself essentially? 
mm-hmm. but with success, whereas the Nets never had any uh, when they traded away nine years with the first round picks or whatever it was. And that's the argument I'd be having every day because that that is that's really the question. And it is it is this exact conversation that will have such lasting impact for the Rams, because no matter what they do, there is an opportunity cost that we will get to witness if they choose to keep everybody and players that they hypothetically could have gotten via trade end up being superstars for other teams, we're going to know. And we're not going to know where the Rams would have had a hypothetical trade. We wouldn't know if they decided to trade Ramsey to the fucking Patriots and collect whatever round pick the Patriot. Like we're not going to know that specifics, but we'll know about where they probably would have gotten a a draft pick and and know who that guy is. If they do end up making trades and uh, Jalen Ramsey is phenomenal in Baltimore and whoever they pick with their, their draft compensation, they get on the other half of that trade blows hot ass. We'll be able to make those comparisons too, but the impacts of this off season, whether they do nothing or do a bunch will mean a lot for the Rams future for the next, like at least five years, honestly, three to five years. So it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. And it's going to show how open teams think their playoff windows are. Mm-hmm. Um, I am confident that they are going to just keep on the path that they're going. And I, I really do think they're going to be fine. I mean, at the end of the day, they're really not uh, too worse off. Um if they were just to, uh, fuck, what am I trying to say here? I don't think they're going to be much worse off if they just continue on the path. I don't think it's really much of a change. I think they'll be fun. End, end of story. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw someone get moved just to help maybe with the cap situation, but they wouldn't have to move a lot of guys to help out with the cap situation. They really wouldn't. Um, like, I don't think they're going to tear down, but we, we, we no, have no idea. Either. Yeah. No, them, them, them tearing down, I don't think would make any sense. There's, there's no point for that, but whatever. It, honestly, if Sean McVay left, that's when you discuss tearing down. But even then, I'm sure there's somebody in that team where, I mean, they get coaches stolen every single year. I'm sure there's someone there that they feel confident in taking over to some extent. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, what would they do if Matt Stafford retired this offseason? Uh, that's tough. I don't think there is a contingency plan for that. Like, there definitely has to be one at Rams HQ, but, man, I would be puzzled to make a guess at what the fuck that is. Yeah. It's yeah. weird to think that Matt Stafford could be such an archstone of this franchise at this juncture, but, like, Man, what the fuck else is their option if he left? I have no fucking idea. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Stafford, highly important, apparently. And Oh, uh, that was the thing that was floating around uh, NFL Twitter a bunch. Real quick, hot take machine. Um, Is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer now that he won a Super Bowl? Um, I don't think he is yet. I wouldn't think so either. If he won a second one, kind of Eli Manning-like, do you think he would be a Hall of Famer with another one? If he went and won another Super Bowl in the next two, three years, I guess so. Or at least it would be a much closer conversation. Uh, for reference, because I said Eli, and now I'm wondering how Stafford's career varies from Eli. Uh, Stafford won Pro Bowl, Eli four, uh, and Stafford has a comeback player of the year. Eli doesn't, but that's because Eli 
never got hurt. Eli has a Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Stafford does not. I mean, and then outside of that, it's Eli's two Super Bowl champs and two Super Bowl MVPs. Stafford, one-time Super Bowl champ. Like, there's there's not a lot of hardware between the two guys at all. Uh, and I always say Eli because he is pretty well contended. Uh, like his case is definitely still being arbited in the in the public sphere about whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. But I think there's a little bit more consensus or a little bit more argument in the pro for him making it than I see for Stafford uh, career f- 57,000 yards Stafford f- just five yards shy of 50,000. So he would need at least two more seasons to catch Eli in the yards department. Um, touchdowns 366 Stafford 323. So again, two more seasons away, just about. Interceptions, Eli, 244, Stafford, 161. So Stafford, much better there. Uh, quarterback record, I really don't give a shit about. It's no surprise the Giants were better in Eli's tenure than the Lions were ever. Um, completions versus uh, completion percent, Eli, 60.3, uh, Stafford, 63. So Stafford, better there. Career quarterback rating, Eli, 84.1, Stafford, 91.1. Uh, there's some other tertiary stats. I don't really know what we would, I don't want to comb through a bunch of stupid, meaningless shit. Uh, did Eli ever, did Eli ever lead the NFL in anything? And if so, what, what's your guess? Category question. Yeah. Uh, yes. Interceptions, uh, okay. positive stats. No, I don't think he did. Okay. So you, you are right. Interceptions. Follow up question. How many times? Three. Yeah, three times in 2007, 2010, and 2013. He also led in longest pass twice, which is a fucking meaningless stat. I do not know why they tracked that. Um, He also led in sack percent in a positive way once in 2012. And fourth quarter comebacks and game-winning drives in the same season, he led uh, the NFL in those stats also once. Uh, That's... Yeah, not a lot here. Stafford, not I mean, not much else. Uh, he led in attempts twice and completions once. Not a lot else. So, oh yay! <laughs> I actually I feel pretty good about this comment. We're talking quarterback um, Hall of Fame cases. If Stafford were to collect another ring, but I also I mean, is Eli a Hall of Famer for you? Um, I don't think he is. And I don't think he should be. I think he is, but I don't think he should be. Eli is also tough because he has a better Super Bowl story than Stafford does. Like Eli's got a David versus Goliath thing that happened twice because of him. But his career outside of that storyline is good. Like it's a really good career, but it's not a Hall of Fame career. Whereas Stafford's career, I think, is exactly the same. But his storyline for his Super Bowl currently is, I joined a super team. Right, but he's like, how many quarterbacks have thrown for 5,000 yards? 5,000 yards? Like in a season? Yeah. No idea. Four, maybe? Oh, no. Way more than four. Wow. He... Marino had to be the first. And Justin right? Herbert threw for 5,000 yards. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Drew Brees has done it a bunch of times. Three, three four. Sure, Manning did five, it at least once. Six, seven, eight. There's only been nine players to throw for 5,000 yards. And I bet outside of Marino, they're all from like the last decade or two. Uh, all of them are since 2008. Yeah. Outside of Marino. Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Pat Mahomes. Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Matthew Stafford, Jameis Winston, and Justin Herbert. Hall of Famer Justin Herbert. Hall of Famer Jameis Winston. All of these uh, uh, players have, like, notes on these seasons. So, like, Dan Marino, first NFL history, youngest to achieve 5,000 yards, NFL MVP. Drew Brees, the 
first two times he did it, Offensive Player of the Year. Drew Brees, second consecutive time. Matt Stafford, Comeback Player of the Year. Peyton Manning, NFL record, NFL MVP. Drew Brees did it three straight years. Jameis Winston, let NFL in interceptions with 30. Yeah, that's our boy. So, I mean, because I, I don't. I don't care that Stafford has one season where he threw 5,000 yards almost a decade ago, over a decade ago. That means nothing to me. Yeah. Um, I think it is a very large, um, what is it called? Uh, anecdote to have. Um I think it will definitely be something that's highly discussed when it comes down to it. I think the biggest thing against him is at no point was he ever a top five consensus QB in the league. That's, I think, the problem. Yeah. It's tough to make – and it, it, we're going to have to adjust to it as we go farther into the, our generation of quarterbacks um, going to the Hall of Fame because they play in a pass-happy league now, and all the stats look so gigantic. Because they are, but they all look like this for players that played statistics. more than a decade. We, hey, we we said that years ago that they should do that, but mm-hmm. oh well. All right, um, shall we talk about our prop bets or what we picked for the prop stuff? Just power through uh, it real quick. Um, yes. Just hold on. I need to grab a computer charger. Corwin, classically prepared for this show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Hold on, folks. All right. He's back. All right, Corbin. Let's uh let's power through these prop bets that we, we did make an attempt at keeping track of live while it was all going down. Um so I let's see how we did because I did not do that on my own time after the Super Bowl. I know it. <laughs> Number of commercials featuring dogs over right, what did we settle off for that four i think we counted i i we were counting along as we as best we could i don't think we got to five i we definitely didn't get to seven no i'll put it that no. way like we definitely yeah. didn't get to seven all right so i took the over you took the under yep point i'll for take one. the first one number two the color of snoop dog shoes we both picked, both picked black, black. They were white with yellow laces. Both got that one wrong. No points awarded. Uh, the price of Bitcoin changing during the Super Bowl, up or down. It started at $42,354. It finished at 41717 It went down. So, Which you would never gosh. have guessed with that many fucking crypto commercials. Oh, my Ridiculous. God. The over-under for dogs should have been over-under for crypto and Seriously. probably would have hit the over. Like, remember that uh, the Super Bowl three years ago or some shit when, the, the, when Tide bought a bunch of commercials and it was like, mm-hmm. oh, man, oh, it's a Tide commercial. That's what this felt like those for crypto great. commercials. Oh, it, was like a great, it was a great shtick. Yeah. But it's, that's what this was like Like with the Larry David one. It's like, oh, what's this going to be? Fucking crypto. Fuck yourself yeah. in the goddamn face. Anyway. Yeah. Anywho. Anywho, I took drop. I succeeded. Number four. Color of the Gatorade bath at the end of the game. Josh, you picked yellow. I picked blue. It was, in fact, blue. Even balls. Uh, the national anthem over under 98 seconds. Over uh, we didn't, yeah, we didn't do it this. super scientifically because there was some streaming uh, technical difficulties. If you said to yourself, hey, Corwin's older. internet sucks. Where'd you guys watch the, the game? Corwin's apartment. We watched it at Corwin's apartment. His shitty-ass Wi-Fi punk bitch can't get good Wi-Fi. I will say, I changed my Wi-Fi for this episode after it started fucking up the second we hopped on. No issues. None. Uh, jersey number for the first player to score a touchdown was set at 23 and a half. We both took the under. I don't know why anyone would take the over. No idea. Uh, like all of the top players have very low digit numbers. Skill positions tend to have low, low jersey numbers. Yeah. 
you know what? I bet the over-under was at like 23 and a half, but the odds were very much in favor of uh, the under. The under, yeah. yeah. Uh, a field goal hitting the upright. Josh, you said yes. It didn't happen. No, it didn't. Uh, I wish. The first... <laughs> The result of the first drive of the game, Josh took touchdown or interception. I took punt or field goal. It was a punt. First person to perform during the halftime show, Josh took Eminem. I took Dr. Dre. It was Dr. Dre. I'm realizing I should have put money on this. Yeah, I did a horrible job. You killed (laughs) I should have put serious money on this. Um, Did Snoop smoke on stage during the halftime show? Josh said no. I said yes. He, he did, did it not. on the stairs he leading did. up to the stage, not on stage. That's some bullshit. Suck my balls. Um, did Slim Shady get censored during the show? Josh said no. I said yes. It is a weird moral gray area where technically the songs themselves were censored, but I don't think it was because he cursed out of turn. Yeah, like there was pre-planned silences. Yeah. I feel like we'd have to go back and watch film on this. To I really feel like we should it. give it to me because you're already killing me. Touche. Yeah. Touche. Well, we'll let Josh take this. Josh, I'm going to need you to pull up some stats here. Total number of players with rush attempts. The over-under was set at 7.5. Josh took the over. I took the under. While you're pulling that up, I'm gonna eight eight players have eight. No kidding, eight. Love that. The Bengals had three, and the Rams had five. Thank you, Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase, each with a single rushing attempt to make this work. Hell yeah, I'm proud of us. Um, so Josh, that's a win for you. Total passes attempted. Over-under was set at 76.5. Oh, 70, 75. Under, Josh had the over. 75? Yeah, 75. Plus one for Cooper Cup, one for Joe Mixon. Yeah. Love that. Oh. Vegas. You guys are fucking Damn. Sick. Damn it. Combined number of kickoffs set at 10 and a half. I don't want to look at. Oh, that's easy. One, two, three, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, plus the two first half starts. That's 11. How many was the. You had the over of 10 and a half. I had. Boom. The under. All right. So I got this one. Beautiful. Winning margin of eight and a half. We both took the under. Both got it right. It was the under. Total points, 48 and a half. We both took the over. Both got it wrong. The winner of the game, Josh took the Rams. I took the Bengals. That's a win for Josh. An MVP, Josh took Matthew Stafford. I took Joe Burrow. It was Cooper Cup. Cooper's Cups. It was Cooper's Cups. Honestly, so, thought it probably should have gone to Aaron Donald. That's a debate to be had. Who? Uh, what, what were our, our correct guess totals? Uh, let's see. I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Pretty suspicious counting here. I had ten. Uh, I started checking off the ones that I did after the game. I don't have a pen with me, so I'm just trying to like look. I had ten. You had one, two. Three, four, five, six. You had six. Beautiful. Honestly, not too shabby compared if to I our said, bold predictions if, that we usually do. I was just saying, if I excellent. said the over under for combined correct guesses on this at 15 and a half, I'm not sure I would have taken the over for us to get I those definitely, 16. Definitely. Uh, I don't think I would, yeah. So good for us. Yeah. But yeah, you should have put money on this. I'd like to say the ones where we both agreed, uh, we did very poorly on. <laughs> I think we were like... Which just goes to show for, for the podcast, for if we five. ever agree on anything 
discussing the future of any sport we care about, we should just assume the opposite is going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. <sighs> Anything so, else you want to discuss? No, we, we now enter the NFL offseason, which will present its own news as things happen. There's been some more coaching signings and GM signings since we last talked, but we're going we're gonna to save that until at least a uh, few more of these positions get filled so we have a little bit more uh, to talk about in its totality. Or maybe next episode with less to talk about uh, in general since MLB is still in its lockout which means uh, spring training was supposed to start actually this week and uh, clearly has not. Maybe we'll start getting into some of the coaching signings next episode and the next couple episodes, just to have some fodder for us to, to kind of talk about. We do have bold predictions. Uh, oh, that's right. We do still have bold predictions, so we can do that next episode. Uh, but yeah, we head into the NFL offseason, start gearing up for the draft after this. We'll, we'll provide an update on what's going on with the MLB lockout in a bit. Um, Probably not this episode, just because we've been going for a while, and Court and I have lives um, that yeah. we'd like to get to. Some more than others. Yeah, yeah, little bitch. But uh, now th- there, there's a lot going on with uh, the. There's news updates in the Tyler Skaggs uh, case investigation, whichever the correct terminology might be. Again, a longer conversation we will save for the next episode. We can get a little bit more into the, the thick of things. Um, but this is our, our really this was our last big sporting event for a while. Opening day of the MLB season is not going to, as it stands right now, looks like it's not going to be starting on time, or at least there's no buildup ramp up towards it that we can really account for. So there's no room for us to even do preseason MLB bull predictions until we get some more clarity on that. So the next sporting event that we have to talk about might end up being playoff hockey, which I'm excited for because the Rangers will definitely be in it. And it means I can actually start watching those fucking games, which yeah, would be great. I mean, I know the Penguins will be in it. I don't know the last time I watched a defense game. Start oh. watching the Rangers, bitch. No. Whenever the playoff starts. So I can actually get those hey, Sidney Crosby you, just got his 500th career goal. Oh, man, who cares? Still not a Hall of Famer, bro. Suck. Yeah. It's very exciting. None of us saw it coming. Oh, who could have predicted it? If you told me last year he already had 500 goals, I would have believed you. Uh, that puts him, wow, much lower down the list than I thought. Where do you think he uh, lands on all-time goals? All-time goals? Yeah. 15th. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, David Andrzejczyk is currently 15th with 640. Ooh. 500s are way lower yeah, uh, uh, threshold than I thought then. God damn. Uh, 46th. Wow. Actually, T45. They don't do... But where is he, where is he ranking points then? He's got to be higher than 46 um, points. Maybe that's what I'm just... Conf- that's, maybe that's what we're conflating then. Because, I mean, that Penn's team that he's been a part of for the last 75 years or so, uh, however long he's been in the NHL, 26. they were a machine. 26? There, yeah, yeah, there you go. 500 goals, 871 assists. He's currently 11 behind Alexander Ovechkin, who has 761 goals, 621 assists. Fucking casual. 761 goals all scored from the exact same spot. Essentially. <laughs> all scored within a, a, a one foot radius of each. His heat map is a single dot. <laughs> God, it's so fucking annoying. Anytime he scores a goal on you from, from that position, you just can't help but roll your eyes and also clap. It's like, ah, oh, God damn it. Like, I knew you were going to, like, our, our, like, it's cool you keep doing it, but, like, come on, move, you dumb bitch. It's like Brady making a pocket pass, you know, someone 30 yards downfield. It's like, all right, cool. You stood in the pocket super, super long and did a good job. But I don't like watching it. Leave me alone, you fucking old man. Anyway. It's like, can't you just, like, sit a defender there? Just 
Play man Shadow defense a on guy. Him. Like, yeah, I know, look, I know not it's fast. not the NBA. I know, I know it's not the NFL, but like, come on. I know we don't usually do press coverage here, but like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, we clearly don't know anything about like the fundamentals of hockey in the sense of like, neither of us can skate backwards. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know how to draw up an NHL defense by all means, but I have to imagine that would be effective to some extent. And if not, Okay, you're probably right. Honestly, like not even real talk, not even press coverage or or man or whatever. But like, why isn't someone just in that passing lane constantly? Uh, Because that's if I was if I was an NHL coach, I would be like, look, look, like one of the wingers because or the defenseman has got to stay in that passing lane no matter what. Like you have to be able to drop your body in that passing lane the same way you would if that someone shot the puck for a goal because if we're being honest same thing that passing lane and an actual shot attempt might as well be the same thing mm-hmm. anyway we're gonna yeah whole whole different discussion uh all right yeah we'll wrap it up if if you would like to follow the show you can do so at juicing pod like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. Like to follow myself on Twitter, while well, I apparently argue with more people every day, uh, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at juicingnumbers at gmail.com. And uh, until Monday, and we're going to do it because there's no more football. Y'all have a good one. Bye.